Good afternoon, everyone. We're just about to get started with uh, our, our program. My name is Joseph Lowe, President of Canadian Club Toronto, and I am delighted to be your host today. Uh, especially grateful to those of you joining us online, thanks to the AV services of our partners, Van Valkenburg, Van Valkenburg Communications and LiveMeeting.ca. Uh, I'd also like to take the opportunity to thank Tories LLP for generously supporting uh, the production of our event today. I'd also like to acknowledge Canada's Forest Trust, an ESG company that plants smart forests to take positive action on climate change. Our partnership has been reducing the carbon footprint of our entire season of club events. And thank you as well to our season sponsor, Canadian Bankers Association, uh, with whom we've worked um, in partnership throughout our 125th season. So what would you like to know about today's uh, tech ecosystem in, in Canada? How does it compare and contrast with what's happening south of the border? Please use the Q&A cards that you're going to find at your tables, old school style, scribble on them, and we'll get them to our moderator at the front. And then if you're joining us online, hit the submit a question button, as always, on the right-hand side of the screen, and we will get your questions that way as well. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce to you our panelists of the day. Chris Albinson, President and CEO, Communitech. A five-time founder, Chris has taken two companies to IPO. A proven investor across five funds and more than 70 companies, Chris has achieved a lifetime 3.6x return, generating a billion and a half in value on 400 million invested. He co-founded the C100, a network of influential uh, Canadians in Silicon Valley to support Canadian founders at home as well as abroad. And in 2021, Chris moved back home to Canada to lead Communitech as its president and CEO. Rasha Katabi, CEO and founder, Brim Financial. Rasha has over 20 years of experience in, in the capital markets. She began her career at TD Bank within the CFO's office. From there, she joined Merrill Lynch in 2002, where she was managing director and group head of the Cross Asset Strategic Solutions Group. There, she established Merrill as a leading bank in asset securitization in Canada. Rasha served as president and chair of the Mortgage-Backed Securities Issuers Association for two consecutive terms and as director of the board at Russell Investments in Canada. Moderating our discussion is Kanada Lake. Kanada is a partner of Tories LLP. His practice focuses on corporate law. In addition to Canadian Club Toronto, Kanada also serves on the Board of Governors of York University. He is a recipient of the 2019 Lexpert Rising Stars, Canada's Leading Lawyers Under 40 Award. Kanada, Kanada panelists, the Canadian Club podium is in your amazing hands. Over to you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I am super excited about this conversation. Um, whenever I chat with Chris, I don't think I ever interact with anyone that has more energy and, and excitement about the Canadian tech sector. And, and Rosh is doing such amazing things at Brim. So I think we're in for a fantastic conversation. Um, so, so Joe kind of set the scene a bit in, in the opening remarks. Um, we're in a time like no other in, in recent memory. Uh, we've seen slowdown in economic activity, unprecedented increase in interest rates, um, a combination of which has now meant startups and scale-ups are having trouble raising financing, that's leading to layoffs, 
um, and the cycle cycle. And this was all before we had the failure of US banks um, and, and all the concerns that, that led from that. So, so with that opening, I'll start with you, Chris. Um, is it as bad as, as that seems? And, and what's, your, what's your sense of the macro, macro kind of picture? So he's asking the old guy who remembers the <laughs> Downturn the wise of, guy. The downturn of 91, <laughs> the downturn of 94. Look, Texal was a roller coaster. Um, and in this sense, this one's no different. Um, the th there are a couple things that are, are interesting. So let me talk about the stuff that's bad, that's very topical. So Shopify laid off 20% of their employees last week. Bad. Uh, financings for Canadian companies are down 38% year on year. Um, Capital is getting tight. We were at around $17 billion a year of financing of Canadian companies. It'll probably settle down around 7 to $8 billion this year. So it's a pretty substantial pullback. Um, and I think to be thoughtful about that um, and to understand what it means to kind of get, it, get through that storm is something that we're very focused on. Um, helping those folks that are displaced from their current companies get into other ones. Uh, we're spending a lot, of, a lot of time on that. So... To, to start it off, it's a tough part of the cycle we're in. And, and you, you touched on um, your why, the fact that you're wise and you've seen other, <laughs> other uh, years. How does, this, how does this compare to what you've seen in kind of so, prior versions? So one of the things that's really um, somewhat surprising to me, and if you haven't looked at it, it's kind of like a fun little artifact to go look at. Look up Silicon Valley Bank's State of the Markets Q4 that came out in February. Um, as you read it, think, if they'd only read the stuff they put out, they wouldn't have gone bankrupt, um, which is kind of curious uh, in itself. So by, by contrast, um, there were a couple of things uh, there. One was that U.S. funding's down 60% uh, year on year compared to 38% here. Uh, the other thing that was um, interesting uh, from my perspective was... Uh, they uniquely do really good research, analytical research on the innovation economy. Um, and the concluding slide of Silicon Valley's state of the markets was go north. And you say, well, what's that all about? Um, one thing they pointed out is that Canadian companies, compared to U.S. companies, side by side, were growing 38% more capital efficient. The Canadian companies actually made the harder cuts to sustain themselves through this cycle much earlier than their US peers. Um, and I think we'd always known that we had pragmatic, good business people running our companies. I think we always knew it was more capital, capital efficient to run here. There's an expression in economic down cycles that if the US catches a cold, Canada catches the flu. And that was true in the 01 pullback, that was pull true in the 08, um, and even if you go back uh, and in the 90s. The startling thing for me, looking at that report, was Canadian companies outgrew their U.S. peers the last five quarters in a row, using 38% less money. So Silicon Valley always used to be, uh, for those that play poker, could win the game by having the big stack. They'd put more money in their companies, they would ultimately outgrow us, and then ultimately our companies would you know, kind of catch the flu. I think this is the first tech pullback we've ever seen, certainly in my lifetime, where the Canadian companies are stronger, are growing faster, and are likely to be stronger than the U.S. comparable companies when we come to the other side. 
those are great and I guess uplifting stats and a great segue to Rasha from the founder perspective and someone who's part of the you know group that are making what appears to be smart decisions with our friends down south. How are you seeing it? How are you seeing this kind of market? Um, yeah, it's undeniably, of course, um, a stress environment you know, um, at all levels. When you see interest rates uh, going up, uh, and now with the perfect storm of U.S. bank failures, uh, together with less funding into uh, VCs, into uh, into um, startups, you know, and tech growth companies, really, you know, that it basically makes for you know a, an environment where um, you're going to have discipline really win the day. Um, it's not a bad thing. So we actually, you know, from our perspective at Brim, and and personally going through from 08 um, to 2001, the very beginning of my career, to today, I think stressed environments are actually very um, key in separating the wheat from the shaft, like they say. Um, this is where a lot of opportunities lie in this type of environment. And this is where strong companies get very differentiated. That then is true from a business perspective because then you reap the benefits of being very well positioned for business growth. You're gonna have you know, an environment like we're seeing today with a lot of layoffs. Well, for companies that are strong and growing, it actually shifts the balance to the company's benefit from a hiring perspective. And that is key, again, to go back to discipline. So there is no you know, expanded expense base in an illogical way. Um, so again, I don't think it's always a bad thing. I think there's always a silver lining to situations. The situation here is no different. No, that certainly coincides with what we're seeing in talking to founders. I think 2021, early 2022, you know, so many founders were complaining about the cost of a developer, for example, like just the, the escalation in, in prices, which obviously makes this challenging for startups. And so now you've seen that kind of a recycling of that or resetting off that to level, to salary levels that are more kind of commensurate what, with what kind of startup companies exactly. can afford. Yeah. And, and discipline in hiring to the point of developers, for example. Right. We have coding challenges that are very real. It will right. take you three days to do it you know, with a full database. You know, in a frothy market, no one would put up with that. Then you don't know who you're hiring. Right. Um, so again, I think many levels of advantages. Right. So opportunities for companies in this time. So let's talk a bit about some of the um, supporters or, or organizations, institutions that can be supporters of the tech ecosystem. So, so Chris, let's talk about our governments. Uh, how are they doing? Like, are, are, are governments doing what they should be? And what advice would you have for them? Um, <clears throat> so let me, uh, f first off, uh, welcome the Deputy Consul General from Israel. Uh, you inspire us in, in all ways. So thank you for joining us. Um, I, I think the short answer is um, really great in some areas, mm -hmm. and then we have areas that we need to improve. 
um, dramatically. And so I'll, I'll simplify it and say, it's really the movement of ideas, people, and capital, and access to markets. Those are the four foundational things for any great innovation economy. And I had the privilege of meeting Ona Berry, who was chief scientist uh, for Israel in the late 90s. And um, she did amazing work. Um, Israel didn't have an integrated market. They didn't really have a venture capital industry. They didn't really have um, integrated purchasing of their own innovation uh, in the late 90s. And by, in four years, really, in short order, everyone was saying Startup Nation like it had always been thus. Um, and they did a really amazing job. Uh, Canada's got one thing that's going really, really well for us. Uh, and we should all be justifiably proud um, in the telling uh, there was a small group of founders that got together at Communitech, um, I guess seven years ago, and said, we need to have better access to global talent, and came up with this idea of changing the way we do immigration so that it was skills-based. Uh, and uh, to the credit of both this federal government and the prior federal government, they've adopted that. Um, as we sit here today, it's remarkable to say Canada's the only country in the world where we can welcome all the smartest people in quickly and efficiently. Um, we're now sitting in the middle of the second largest tech hub in the world, 313,000 tech workers in the Waterloo Toronto corridor. That compares to the valley of 370,000. We're adding 15,000 new tech workers every 12 months compared to the valley of 5,000. I was there last week speaking at TyCon. The Valley just laid off 315,000 tech workers, um, so to kind of put our layoffs in perspective. 130,000 of those tech workers are on H-1B, so that's a skill-based uh, visa. They have 60 days to find another job or getting kicked out of the country. The U.S. immigration system is really messed up, but that is also an opportunity for Canada. It is the single largest movement of intellectual capital on the planet since the handover of Hong Kong in 1997. So why was I in the Valley last week? I was there to go at Tycon, the largest coming together of entrepreneurs in the Valley, and said, come north. Come north. This is the best place on the planet to go build big, impactful companies. We sit here and don't realize how much the place we're sitting in has changed. Toronto's the only city on the planet where you can say that half the people you bump into as you walk down the street weren't born here. The only city on the planet you can say that. Uh, so immigration, we're doing amazing. It is our trump card and a world where innovation economies are fueled by bringing the best minds in the world together. We've got that going for us. On the, on the Markets and procurement side, we can talk more about this. We do a really shitty job of buying our own stuff. Yeah. Just saying that well, directly. I've had, <laughs> you, glad you come that back you're, for that. you're frank, I've, I've had conversations with founders who will comment that it's easier to sell to governments overseas or in the US than it is to sell to our own. So, so please expand on that. It's, it's, yeah, it's sadly true. It's been true for 40 years. And because it's been true for 40 years, our best companies don't bother even selling here. They just go to other markets. Um, that's to our great um, detriment. Uh, so I contrast that with what Israel does. They do a phenomenal job of solving their problems with their own innovation, and once they've sold it and used it lo locally, selling it globally. I was in Washington, D.C. last week um, talking to folks at the SBA, a small business uh, association, and the SBIR, which is their procurement. Uh, so in the United States, there's by legislation, the 
U.S. government has to buy 10% of every dollar spent from small businesses in the United States. And they had a really clever thing in the legislation that said there has to be a 5% improvement in productivity or price also, which creates this competitive dynamic right. to drive innovation. So they've done a great job. We could learn from that. We should adopt it. Uh, I want to give a shout out to um, the province of Ontario. Uh, they adopted the Bobby legislation last year, which is Buying Ontario Business Initiative. Did I get the right? Building Ontario Business Thank you. Uh, and it, it basically mirrors the SBA legislation, which says, like, if we need cybersecurity to secure the TTC so it doesn't get hacked and it doesn't go down, it might be a good idea to procure eCentire, which is a made-in-Ontario company, one of the largest uh, cybersecurity companies on the planet, fastest growing, a True North company that Homeland Security uses to secure the city of Los Angeles, the city of Chicago. Homeland Security uses that. Um, actually, I probably shouldn't say that one on, on uh, <laughs> distributed, but Homeland Security uses it. Um, why wouldn't we use it? Um, you know, just as an example. So we have things to learn um, and to do, and we don't have much time, uh, which I'll get back to. And the last one, um, which um, I'm very animated about, which is, if you look at our pension assets, we have some of the biggest, largest pensions on the planet. But as the prime minister said, a confident country invests in itself. We are not investing in ourselves. If you look at the $20 billion that Canadian pensions invested in the venture asset class, almost all of it went somewhere else. And yet, Canadian venture returns are now better than U.S. venture returns for the first time in history. And the Americans were 75% of that $17 billion that got invested here last year. So the Americans have figured out, actually, if you can grow faster using less money, returns are better, we're actually going to invest in Canadian companies, and yet we're not investing in ourselves. Why does that bother me? If 75% of our best companies are owned by the Americans, I'll give you a simple example. Shopify versus Instacart. Both great Canadian-founded companies. There's nothing left of Instacart that's Canadian. Not the board, not the management, not the headquarters, and not, certainly not the value that's been created from that company. We need to systemically invest in our best companies, and it's probably not lost on anybody in this room. You take less risk. You take less risk investing in Canadian companies than putting it in some crypto bro, you know, and we know the examples of you know, very sub substantive dollars of our pension money that was lost. That was hard-earned pension money that was lost, investing in things that were far away, very high risk, and frankly, didn't turn out to be good investments. We can invest in our own companies and do it with confidence and have better returns. Um, the, last, the last one is the movement of um, ideas. One of the really interesting things about having this amazing flow of talent into the country, a million people a year are becoming new Canadians. A million people a year. Why is that so amazing? Because half of them have STEM degrees. And they're bringing their networks and their connectivity, and they're walking around the Waterloo-Toronto corridor 
and they're creating the same thing that sustained the valley for so long. One of the great advantages of the valley is you sat there, as I did for 20 years, and you'd meet the founder um, when she came from Turkey, and you'd meet the founder who came in from France, and then you'd meet the founder who came in from Indonesia, and you'd meet the, the, the company that was buying stuff from Japan, and you could sit in one place and actually have this really crazy advantage of information. Um, and um, again, I want to thank our, our friends from Israel because they were very generous in helping us set up the C100 when we did that back um, now 12 years ago. And um, they, they taught us, as did Thai, which is the Indian diaspora group, that if you can level the playing field in terms of the movement of people, ideas, and capital, you win. So we are the second largest innovation hub in the world and the fastest growing right now. Big tech is not trusted out of the United States. It's not trusted out of China. Um, Canada's brand is trust. And the opportunity for us to be the place where trust is built into technology at a point in time where that is a systemic global advantage is super exciting. And we have the best minds in the world here. Um, if you look at the Team True North companies, so they're in the 1% highest performing private companies in the world based here in Canada. Almost 30% of them are founded by people not from Canada. Two of them that crossed a billion dollars in revenue this year, Marcel Cortez, immigrant to Canada from Brazil at FAIR, crossed a billion dollars in revenue last year. The Bashiri brothers, immigrants to Canada from Iran, crossed $2.4 billion in revenue last year. Most famously and best known, even though a rough week last week, Toby Luke, immigrant to Canada from Germany. We have the privilege, I have the privilege of sitting beside an amazing woman who's also a founder of a True North company, immigrant to Canada from Lebanon. Um, so we have this amazing advantage of talent. I'm very confident the capital will flow. I'm just hoping more of it's Canadian. And we should be very happy and confident about buying our own stuff right now. And again, tip of the hat to our friends from Israel that do such a great job of it. I was in uh, Israel a couple weeks ago trying to learn some more. You travel a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. But no, those are some great points. And I'm always more inspired by Canada when I, when I hear you speak on, on the tech point. So, so on the, from the question around government, great job on immigration, but work to do on procurement. And we can get our pension and investors to, to and, and capital. I, I think you, when the Prime Minister said really directly, confidence, confident countries invest in themselves. We should be confident right now. Whether or not we're buying from Canadian startups or we're investing in Canadian startups, it is absolutely the smartest thing we can be doing. Right. So, so great segue then to talk about how our banks, our financial institutions, are supporting um, the tech ecosystem. So, Rasha, in your, in your intro, uh, Joe mentioned, you know, TD, Merrill Lynch. So you, you've been at some financial institutions. How, how are you, as a founder, seeing uh, the, the landscape with regards to our financial institutions? How, how are they doing? Yes, and I'll get there right for a second. Oh. I want to go back to government. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Never let the moderator tell you what to do. No, please. I love Rasha. <laughs> like, that's the entrepreneur. Go. No, go for it. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have some good programs, apparently, because we have not uh, been uh, able or lucky enough to interact with them. 
um, I think that there is maybe even a you know, positive thought process, but from there to actually putting it in action, I think this is where the gap that you're talking about, Chris, is there, you know, there is definitely an intent, you know, and, and ostensibly from the prime minister, but to actually put it in action really lags, um, exponentially lags. Um, and so I think the actors that are uh, in place responsible for executing this strategy need a shakeup. I don't think any other word is, um, describes what is actually needed. A full shakeup, uh, accountability. What is the measurement that we put in place to measure our policy and how it is executed? Because we know from a company perspective, what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. So very curious about that measurement. Uh, interesting you bring that up, Rasha. When I was in Israel, I had the privilege of going over to Tel Aviv University. Mm -hmm. And there was one metric for Tel Aviv University, from the president to the deans to the faculty heads to the department heads, the individual faculty members, all the way to the tech transfer office. And the metric was company formation for a university. I thought it was interesting. So what you measure happens, right? Uh, to your point, yeah. So, um, okay, so now back to our banks. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so, you know, in the Canadian ecosystem, like, like any other, uh, you have a plethora of players within an industry. Same is true of our financial institutions here. Um, you know, of course, we have, you know, very strong, um, concentrated banking institutions and a concentrated market. Um, but we do then have a very long tail of mid-market um, and, you know, as, as I actually, you know, think about it and describe it, a long tail in financial institution. And with the advent of policy around open banking, which really at the core of it is distilled as a consumer owns their data, not the financial institution, we are at the cusp of potentially enabling this long tail of financial institutions to take marginally, but still significantly, more market share from our capital markets and our you know, financial services as a whole in the country. And that's not a bad thing. We've seen it in other markets. Where you have concentration, you have handicap to growth. When you have diversification, you have a lot more widespread support of growth. And wh whether that is small businesses, you know, specific types of people that have access to capital, whether it's on a consumer basis or business or commercial. Now, those financial institutions, now away from, you know, sort of the big five, or even if you want to expand to six, um, you know, are looking for technology in order to enable them to leapfrog from the back of the stack to hopefully to the front of the stack in terms of product, services, platform, strength of their technology. 
And these are really the ideal partners from a bank perspective to tech companies within the Canadian ecosystem or fintechs. Um, and we're seeing this happen. Now, as I say, with the advent of you know, potentially new policy or definitely guidelines around open banking, those financial institutions that are taking those decisions and those actions to modernize their stack and to really leapfrog in terms of capabilities, product, services, ecosystems, the large established five, which is something that we would not have been able to dream of without this modernization and replatforming partnership with the tech sector, really. You know, they are in a very strong position to capitalize on open banking. They're in a very strong position to acquire more customers, those customers, be it large commercial or SMBs or consumers. And let's make no mistake, even our large commercial, I'm not talking about BC, but Canada, but large commercial ecosystem in Canada is not very well served in terms of capabilities, product, uh, platforms, ecosystem. And so I actually find it an extremely exciting time um, for the financial ecosystem in Canada and financial institutions as a, you know, specifically, where we could see in the next few years um, you know, sort of a new stacking, a new stacking of the order, definitely, you know, a evolution in market share and their roles in, you know, what they play to in, in financial services in the country. So, so as, as the economy evolves and become more dependent on technology, you're saying technology and, and banks that actually make the right decisions around partnership and supporting the tech ecosystem and, and improving their technology kind of stack and offerings have the opportunity to change you know, the ranking, asset revenue, however you may rank them as compared to today. Absolutely. And so, so that, that sounds like, you know, fantastic opportunity for, for the financial institutions. How are you as a founder finding the support you are getting from our financial institutions and that your other um, founders are, are getting, uh, you know, with the, with the kind of um, what we've seen in the U.S. with the financial banking crisis there, or do you have concerns as a founder in terms of financial support, products, services, et cetera, from our financial institutions, or, or, or would you give them a, a, what grade would you give our financial institutions? You know, and I can speak to it from, from Brim's perspective. Of course. Um, you know, I think we are in a, in a very, um, I don't want to say lucky position, because I don't really believe in luck. You know, <laughs> we are in a very good position um, to actually you know, be at the forefront of this transformation with financial services in general, both banks and credit unions, in that you know, tail of financial institutions in this market that are just below the five large banks. So uh, what we're seeing is very inspiring, you know, courageous decisions uh, that will lead to very good results in a very short period of time. You know, when we think traditionally about transformation, we always think about very long lead times to transformation. Partnering with the right partners in technology and fintech actually enables you to quasi real time transform. So when you have a strategy of a transformation within a year or two, and this is what you want to deliver to your board, it is actually possible. And we're doing it over and over again. So so that, that is, you know, very, very uh, encouraging. 
Uh, I think the financial institutions on the other side of the border in the US have definitely taken um, note of it. Brim now has clients on both sides of the border. Um, banks in the US that are mid-sized banks, not small ones, um, and large agent banks that would service, and there you have a very fragmented, very long tail, but like you would have an agent bank that has 800 community banks underneath it. They are looking for a transformation of their platforms and services. They are working with Brim Financial, a Canadian mm-hmm. tech startup. To, um, to basically do their entire transformation south of the border. I think one thing that really differentiated us from the start is that probably because of my background in banking and you know, I'm guilty as charged, I am a fan of regulations. I'm a fan of regulation. I think it's- I don't think I hear a lot of startups say that. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. You know, I'm a fan of regulation. I think it enables you to, to build with discipline on a very strong foundation. I think wherever there's no regulation and oversight, you are bound to have blow-ups. Certainly, as a company and as a founder, we are not looking forward to any blow-ups. So we try to be ahead of even the large banks in complying with regulation. For example, B96, where the Brim platform was about a year ahead of other banks compliant. Um, and we will continue to be that way and, and, you know, and to uh, our entire tech strategy is around compliance and regulation. We're seeing in the US right now that that lack of discipline around regulation and compliance and that really full strategic deliberate thought about it um, is catching up with them. The, the order from the FDIC on Cross River Bank Um, the order from uh, the FDIC on Cross River Bank was specific around regulation and compliance, and and it called out, for example, amongst the many orders that they had, it called out uh, the inability of Cross River Bank to ensure that its fintech partners are actually applying and are compliant with the law requiring uh, or prohibiting discrimination uh, of access to credits based on various um, various criteria, basically, you, you know, non-discriminatory access to credit. And why is that? And they actually pointed out the reasons why that failure occurred. Hmm. And it is because of a lack of visibility, of f- through visibility from, you know, the front end all the way to the back end, and the entire process from, you know, from origination to adjudication to operation to rolling it out. This is exactly where Brim situates itself. And we are the only FinTech globally that has you know, attacked platforming and replatforming as one fully integrated front to back tech platform and ecosystem. We Rush, w- Rush yeah. I want to connect some dots because uh, yeah. Kanata's doing, doing the questions thing. So I'm going to moderate a little bit for a second, but go for it. um, (laughs) One, one of the things that um, strikes me and what you're talking about is the success of Brim in the U S in replatforming their change in banking. How much does this idea of you being a Canadian company? Yes. Amazing technology. Some of the best in the world. One of the best companies in the world, fastest growing in the world. Um, all awesome, um, but this idea of also the place where trust is being built 
into technology, I think key in financial services, does it help you being a Canadian startup when you're selling into these, these customers? I, I think I'm gonna agree with you that Canada's brand is trust. So if we don't squander it, we have it. Mm. Um, you know, and it's on us to squander it or not. Um, we take it very seriously at Brim because we always think, you know, it's like making money. You make money with cents and you lose it with dollars. Same thing with trust. It takes forever to build and you lose it overnight. Um, so, um, so, so I think we have it as a brand, as a you know, Canadian brand, and we should, um, you know, we should be very proud of it and hold it preciously by doing always our best to delivering you know, the, what, what, we, what we promise to. Um, you know, I think specifically, they understand that we, ha we come from, from a, an, an ecosystem that although it does not have prescriptive regulation, which is the difference between the regulation framework in Canada and in the US, it is a non-prescriptive framework in Canada, um, we actually have more solid oversight. So, um, and that is where we win. Um, you know, we, we have probably a bit later, we'll talk about another, uh, great news that you know, we can share about uh, you know, one of the two, uh, the, the two large networks, payment networks globally, selected Brim Financial you know, as a Canadian company as a key to its uh, US bank, financial banks, financial institution and bank replatforming and its growth and go-to-market strategy. You know, a lot more coming on that and a press release to follow but again, so we can bury the headline, but not bury the headline. <laughs> so if I heard you right, the second largest financial platform on the planet just selected Brim for their go to market strategy for the United States. Mm -hmm. And Correct. the key thing there. Woo! And, and I think the, the key point that there is for the US, right? For so the US. Canadian company and you, you, you are solving their issue in the US. In so the US. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it's a great, great um, example of what, you know, Chris has been selling in terms of the Canadian excellence and that, you know, Canada's, in Chris's words, crushing it. Uh, so that's great. You know, and, it, and it's important for us to be doing that in the US for the US, because the US today is a market 10 times the size of Canada. If there is one ingredient for a company to grow, it's its market size. Right. So we cannot grow when we are Canadian-centric. It's like you're telling a US company to grow just in Texas. Okay, you just stay in Texas <laughs> and you show me your growth. <laughs> um, so, so of course we're super you know, focused on uh, south of the border as just a continuum of North America. And, and so I think it's a great segue to the next point I want to touch on, which is um, you know, you know, successes like you just shared um, I, I was at um, the screening for the new BlackBerry movie uh, last week, um, and John Belsilli was there, um, Jim, sorry, Belsilli was there, and talked a bit about uh, RIM, BlackBerry, and what they created in Waterloo. And that, that idea of that, that one successful company creates a, a whole ecosystem around them. And, and so, you know, Chris wanted to ask you, are we, do we see, can we see that on the horizon? We, we also saw that with, with RIM, BlackBerry, and Waterloo. Uh, Ottawa with Shopify at some extent. Like, are you, are you I, I know the answer, but I'm gonna ask anyway. Are you expecting more of that? And, 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 and are, can we expect that sooner or later? Like, what are your thoughts in terms of? The so it's a, it's a funny thing. If you attract the smartest people in the world to come 
which we've done, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of them, because they're immigrants, you know, they're willing to take unusual risks, right? They're willing to take leaps of faith. Um, it's one of the reasons why the Valley is the Valley. Half of the best performing companies in the Valley were founded by immigrants because people like Rasha took the leap of faith, left Lebanon, came to Canada, where she knew presumably almost nobody, and built a life. Once you've done that, like imagine uprooting yourself, going to a country you don't know anybody, go to a place thousands of miles away. Well, building a big company is not a big risk comparatively, right? Yeah. So when we think about folks like Terry Matthews, who came to Canada from Wales, who's built three companies over a billion dollars in revenue here, or there's Shopify example, um, you would think then we might have a critical mass of these people coming together because we're adding a million new Canadians every 12 months, half of them with STEM degrees. That's pretty cool. In point of fact, the data shows it. So using a standard uh, built with Two Sigma uh, out of New York to identify the 1% highest performing private companies in the world, Canada now has 158 of them. Average revenue 100 million growing at 100% per year. That is by far one of the biggest clusters of high performing companies on the planet, largely in the Waterloo-Toronto corridor. And then it shouldn't surprise us that Magnet Forensics, where Jim is also on the board, where we wanted to go build big, inspire to build world-class companies, just exited for $1.8 billion, the largest single tech exit you know, in, in Waterloo history, that apply board across $2.4 billion in revenue, also based in Waterloo. eCentaur, I can't say their numbers publicly, but they're a true north company, uh, meaning in the 1% highest performing, uh, also based in Waterloo. Um, and uh, FAIR, Marcel Cortez's company, also crossed a billion dollars in revenue last year, also based in Waterloo. Now we love the Waterloo-Toronto corridor, don't get me wrong, but I had to do a little hometown boast on Waterloo there, so thank you for letting me uh, to, to get that out. It's, uh, we expected to be 24,000 tech workers in Waterloo by 2025. Uh, we crossed 26,000 tech workers last year. Um, it's the only city in Canada that had a 10% increase in net uh, household income, um, and there are more construction cranes in Kitchener-Waterloo per capita than any other place in the country right now. I don't think anyone in Toronto would believe that. <laughs> hey, as we, as we it, look around, it, it is, it is. but I'll take you where I said per capita. Uh, you got a lot of people here. Uh, it's a short drive up. Happy to have anyone come anytime they want. No, that's awesome. And I'm mindful of our, our time. And so, so Rasha, I did want to give you the opportunity to, um, you know, thank you for your announcement. We, um, uh, we give her Grim. another round of applause. Thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> Woo. And I did want to give you the floor a bit to talk a bit more. I mean, we kind of jumped right in, um, but talk a bit more about um, what, what are you excited about for the future for your, you know, yourself and, and Brim and, and also for, um, for kind of Canadian founders? Uh, you know, I think I um, go back to, uh, you know, our discipline, our way of doing things in Canada. There is value there that we should be proud of. Um, we don't need to do things in the way other countries do them. We just need to, I think, take our values and then expand on executing super well and measuring our execution. Um, I think this is the time where 
in the US, as Chris said, money floods into tech startups um, and fintechs. And companies that in a good market, they would ask you, how do you compare to X, Y, or Z? And why would you do this any better? What I'm excited about right now is that though this flow of funds that is extremely large, exuberant, has stopped, paused at least for a little while, and enables us a window of opportunity to level the playing field, which we are doing right now. So I'm very excited for strong companies in Canada that have you know, displayed a lot of discipline and have been very deliberate. I think it's their moment to shine. I always say that you should never let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> so um, it, it is a definitely an, a, you know, a time that while it is stressed, it is definitely a time of opportunity. I love the positivity and interest. I'm, I know you'll be positive here as well, but one of the questions from the floor, which is a great way to kind of wrap up our talk, asked you, you know, talk about why you came back to Canada from um, Silicon Valley um, and, and what is it that you're excited about for, for Canada? I think we've got a taste of it, but please go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the honest answer is um, I went down to the Valley in 1999 because it was the place where you could build big companies that you were unbounded, um, that you were in the richest environment of people and talent and, you know, and ambition. You know, it was, it was all there. You had unbounded access to markets. You had unbounded access to capital. You had unbounded um, access to um, talent. And, and for whatever combination of reasons, and it was, it was sad to be, uh, be direct about it, it was sad to be in the Valley last week, seeing what's happening in San Francisco, standing at TyCon in front of 130,000 people that have been laid off that are being forced to leave a country they chose to make their home, that they invested everything they had, many of them, to go there. Um, but the other side of that, that is why I came home. Canada's the most interesting place to go build big companies right now. Canada's the only country that has a, only G7 country that has a free trade agreement with all other G7 countries and Israel, only one. Um, it's the only one that has wide open immigration. Like if, if you're the smartest woman mm -hmm. from Bangladesh, you can come here to this city, you can find your people, you can find your religion, you can find your food, and you're welcome. I was struck when I was talking similarly on the, on the panel down in Santa Clara, and somebody came up to me after the talk and said, it's amazing that you called those people new Canadians and not aliens or illegal aliens. Uh, and there's a woman from France and she was talking about her journey to the US and how difficult it was. For those that don't know, to get to a legal status on green card, for if you're from India, it's an overtly racial policy, racist policy. It's 25 years to get your citizenship in the United States right now where you can come here, and if you're willing to work hard and you want to be you know, uh, a part of the journey here. You know, Kanata, you, your family came from Jamaica, Russia, your family came here from Lebanon. Like, it's a pretty amazing place that we've created together. Um, it's fun, um, and I think we just need to be celebrating our ambition a little bit more, and I want to you know, shout out to uh, some of the, you know, we were talking about some of the companies that 
may not be embracing this. There are some notable ones that are. Um, when Silicon Valley Bank went down, a team at Communitech, we worked 11 days straight to help Canadian companies make sure that they got their financing. Shoulder to shoulder to us through the weekend was TD Bank because the FDIC, which was the controller bank for the bankruptcy for FDIC, or for, the, for SVB rather, didn't want to wire money out of the country. Now that kind of makes sense. If you're the US regulator and you stepped in and you saved a bank, you're using taxpayer dollars to it, like why would you move money out of the country? But for Canadian startups that were completely dependent on that, those funds, because their deposits, they were forced to put their deposits in the US bank, um, they couldn't make payroll, they couldn't do inventory. And TD worked with us shoulder to shoulder right through the weekend, set up US bank accounts in TD US. So money could go from SV, SVB, FDIC, to TD US, to up to Canada. Um, and it's examples like that, I think, huh, something different's happening. You know, another example, our friends here from EY, I know they're working with Rash's company to help her go global faster. Um, so we're seeing, you know, some energy around this idea of the brass ring is literally in front of us. We are the second largest innovation hub in the world the fastest growing. Like, why would we not grab it? Why would we not? Well, that's awesome, and as an immigrant, I love that underpinning this is the Canadian story of, of um, acceptance of immigrants, so thank you for bringing that to our attention. It's one of our best assets. Yeah. We should celebrate it all, all the time. That's great. On that note, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Although this it's so great. fun. Yeah. Um, but just, just to close, ladies and gentlemen, I know we're running a couple minutes behind. Um, Chris and Rasha, on behalf of the Canadian Club Toronto, I want to thank both of you for your unique perspectives on this really important question. I think, Chris, your role in setting the context, uh, establishing uh, Canada as the market for the future of tech is, is really uh, of, of renown. Thank you so much. We're, we're glad to have you back. And uh, Rasha, uh, to you, thank you for being such an inspiration, for being kind of a light as to what it truly means to be fearless and to be a champion, not just in a Canadian context, but truly in a global one. So once again, thank you to our panelists, everyone. And Kanata, uh, thanks to you as well for your expert moderation as always, as well as obviously your service to the Canadian Club, uh, Toronto, our members and, and our board. Uh, members and guests, before we close, let me tell you uh, a few about a few of our upcoming events. Uh, later this week on Thursday, May 11th, the club will provide a behind the scenes look at Canada's private equity market with leaders from Brookfield, Fengate and Alfie Capital in our panel. On Wednesday, May 24th, we will be discussing the future of long-term care in, in this province with the Honorable Paul Calandra and a stellar panel of healthcare CEOs. And on Monday, May 29th, we welcome the CEO of BCE and Bell Canada, uh, Mirko Bibic, to our podium as well. Visit us at uh, canadianclub.org where you'll find more details about memberships, about these events, uh, ticket options, and, uh, and other events as well. Uh, once again, I'd like to offer another round of thanks to our sponsors, uh, event sponsors today, Tories LLP. Members and guests, thank you so much for attending today. I look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. All the best. <laughs>